0: And I think one of the most important things that parents can do, that we all can do, not, not just parents, but everybody, uh, even, even adults, is, is, is learn some listening skills. You know, we're very good at listening to words. We're not so good at listening to the feelings behind the words.
1: Welcome to the Raising Confident Teens podcast where we teach life and leadership skills to teens and their parents. I'm Hudson and I'm Rachel and today on the podcast we're going to be chatting with Richard Capriola.
2: Richard has over two decades of experience working as a mental health and addictions counselor. Licensed in both Illinois and Texas, he recently retired from Menninger Clinic, one of the nation's top 10 psychiatric hospitals. While at Menninger, He treated both adults and adolescents diagnosed with substance abuse disorders. He is the author of a new book for parents entitled The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Richard.
0: Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here, and I appreciate your taking the time to uh, speak to me.
2: This is such a heavy topic. Why did you write this book?
0: I wrote the book to help parents and families and anyone who's interested in adolescent substance abuse. When I was working as an addictions counselor at Menninger, I met a lot of parents and was able to listen to the struggles that they had with their child who was using uh, alcohol or drugs like marijuana. And I wanted to uh, write a book that would provide family members anyone really interested in learning about adolescent substance abuse a resource that they would find helpful that had information in it that would help them understand uh, adolescent substance abuse what kind of assessments are important what kind of resources are important what are the warning signs to look at so i really meant the book to be a uh, a resource uh, for for uh, for parents and for families what
1: is the drug that teens struggle with the most?
0: I think that the the drug that that they struggle with most is probably uh marijuana, although alcohol is also uh, a substance that teens are using so uh the teens tend to use uh alcohol and they tend to use marijuana as the two primary sources um that that they're using. And many times, a young man or a young woman will use a substance, whether it's alcohol or or marijuana, to medicate an underlying issue, for example, Many of the uh, teenagers that I worked with who were smoking a lot of marijuana, when I asked them to help me understand why they used marijuana so much, the number one answer that they gave me was anxiety. It helped them control their anxiety. So a lot of teenagers who use alcohol or use marijuana are, are using it to medicate an underlying issue. But overall... Uh, teens uh, are still using marijuana and alcohol as the two primary substances.
2: Has it been that way for a long time?
0: It has been that way for a long time. Uh, alcohol is sort of stabilizing. Uh, marijuana is still, uh, is still an important subject uh, that, that, uh, that teenagers are using. But what we're noticing over the last several years is an alarming increase in vaping where students, um, teenagers are vaping either nicotine or marijuana. In the last three years, we have seen a surge in the number of teens that are vaping. For example, nicotine vaping among seniors in the last three years has gone from 18% to 34% using it. Uh, marijuana vaping among seniors has gone from 9% of seniors to 22% of seniors. So I think what we're seeing is a is a large increase in, in uh, students who are vaping either nicotine or marijuana. That's been the big change in the last few years.
2: Is it because it's so easy to get their hands on it?
0: That's a very good question, because I think what we're seeing is when we ask students about these issues, there's, there's two variables that play into why teenagers uh, are using substances. One is availability. Almost 79% of seniors say it's either fairly easy or very easy for them to get marijuana. And about 30% say it's easy to get LSD. Um, and over 80% uh, uh, will tell you that it's very easy for them to find alcohol if they want, and it's easy to find a vaping d- device. So, so availability is one key issue. These substances are, are readily available to any, any teen that wants them. The other issue is harmfulness. Teenagers do not see these drugs as being very harmful. For example, if you ask do you think that regular use of marijuana is harmful? Only about 30% of seniors will say they think it's harmful, and over 50, and, and slightly over 50% of eighth graders will say it's harmful. If you ask them how harmful do you think it is having one or two drinks nearly every day, only about 24% of seniors will say it involves great risk. So, you know. The availability of drugs, they're easy to find, they're easy to get if they want them, and the perception of low risk. Both of those two factors, I think, account for the the, the alcohol and the drug use that we're seeing.
1: So,
2: you know, back when I was younger, it was the stigma, like, drugs are so evil. So, so you're saying that people really don't have that same perception.
0: Exactly. Yeah, teenagers uh, do not have that perception that these drugs are very harmful um, or that they can cause very much damage, which which is not true, but it's a perception that they have. Um, some of that might come from the fact that marijuana is being legalized for adults throughout the country. Um, and some of it may be just from their own misunderstanding of how these drugs work within the system.
2: So at what age range, do substance abuse problems normally begin?
0: That's a very good question, because what we're seeing is that if you look at the very young ages, and by that I mean 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds, we tend to see inhalant use at those very young ages. We don't see so much of the hardcore drugs or the marijuana or the alcohol. At those very young ages, we tend to see, when we do see it, it tends to be inhalant use, inhaling substances, uh, vapors, nitrous oxide, pins, glue, things like that. You don't see that very much by the time they get into the older teenage years. You don't see it very much, for example, amongst 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders, uh, high schoolers. By that time, if they're into substances, they've, they've moved into things like alcohol and drugs. So at a very young age, we're more likely to see inhalant use. As they get older, we're more likely to see alcohol and marijuana.
2: So how does a teen normally start using Was it a friend?
0: It can be. Uh, Sometimes it can be uh, peer pressure. Uh, Their friends are using. They feel pressure to use it. Sometimes it can be out of curiosity. Uh, They just get curious, and they try it. And if they have a good experience, they continue with it. If they have a negative experience, they tend to shy away from it. Um, But what I've also noticed is that once you get beyond the alcohol and the drug use, you look beyond that, you may very well find an underlying psychological reason why a child is using a substance like marijuana. For example, many of the young men and women that I worked with who were smoking marijuana, when I asked them to help me understand why they were using it, the number one answer that I got from them was it helps me with my anxiety. So, you know, you have to look beyond the alcohol and drug use if you find it and, and look for an underlying reason why a young man or young woman might be using a substance. And you often will find it could be because of anxiety. It could be because of, of depression. It could be a number of issues that, that really they're using the substance to medicate,
1: escape. They're using it to escape. From yes, exactly. They're life.
0: using it to escape.
1: What percentage of teens are using drugs?
0: Well, the percentage of teens that are using drugs if, depends on, on which drug we're looking at. For example, um, alcohol is still the most widely used substance. And I would say probably 50 to 55% of seniors and 40% of juniors will admit to drinking alcohol. Now, that seems like a high percentage. But if you look in in the 1990s, it was much higher. It was as high as 70%. It was much higher during during that period of time. Wow. Um, If you look at marijuana... Um, which is the most widely used illicit substance, then about 35% of seniors and maybe 25% of juniors are using marijuana. Um, And there's been a slight increase among juniors, but among seniors, the rate has remained fairly stable. Among the other drugs, the percentages are really low. For example, about 4% of seniors are using LSD. About 3% of seniors are using cocaine. Um, Ritalin and Adderall, which are prescribed drugs often for ADHD, attention deficit disorders, probably about almost 4%, maybe a little bit more than 4% of seniors are abusing Adderall. And by abusing it, I mean, they're taking it without a doctor's prescription. And maybe 2% of seniors are using Ritalin without a doctor's prescription.
1: What's illicit mean?
0: Illicit means it's, it, it, it is um, a drug um, that is um, not only illegal, but can be very harmful for you as well. So can
2: you talk to us about the difference between an adult and an adolescent substance abuse disorder?
0: Yes. When we look at addiction, there's a very big difference between adult addiction and adolescent addiction. There's two two main differences. The first is in terms of brain development. Uh, Adults who are addicted to a substance or to alcohol, their brains are fully developed. Your brain gets fully developed around age 24 or 25. So adults generally have a fully developed mature brain. Adolescents, on the other hand, have a developing brain. Their brain is not fully developed. So the first difference between adult addiction and adolescent addiction has to do with brain development. Adult brains are fully developed. Adolescent brains are still in the process of developing, which means it's much more dangerous and much more risky for an adolescent to be putting alcohol or drugs into their developing brain. The second difference between Uh, adult addiction and adolescent addiction has to do with consequences many adults who are addicted to a substance have faced consequences severe consequences in many cases they might have lost a relationship they might have lost a marriage uh, in many times they might have been incarcerated spent time in jail Uh, Adolescents, on the other hand, have faced very few consequences. Their big consequence is usually their parents imposing some type of restriction on them or yelling at them about the use of a substance. But adolescents have not faced the kind of severe consequences that we see adults facing as a result of being addicted to a substance.
2: So, it's like, you know, when you let your kid suffer the consequences Uh, of an action, if the consequences don't hurt that bad, it doesn't really affect them. (laughs) They don't take it seriously.
0: They don't take it seriously. Uh, The consequence might be they're grounded for a while. Did they get upset about it? Yes. Did they get angry about it? Yes. But it's much different than uh, an adult who um, might face uh, being imprisoned or put in jail for for a long time.
2: Right. Uh, When you're talking about the brain development, it kind of made me think about you know, we always say that Pregnant women shouldn't take drugs or alcohol because it affects the developing fetus. Mm -hmm. Um, So the brain is kind of like that. The brain is still developing. It is like that little baby developing. We may not see it outwardly, but their brain is still growing. Their brain hasn't finished. That's (laughs) right. 25 years later.
0: That, that's right. It's like, it's like the developing baby before they're born. They're still growing. There's still uh, important aspects of their development that, that are ongoing. Well, our brain is the same way. It, it takes time to develop as well. And our brains mature. They develop from, from, the, from the back to the front, So the last part of the brain to become fully developed is what's called the prefrontal cortex. That's the part of the brain right behind the forehead. That's the part of the brain that helps us weigh consequences and make rational, good decisions. And that's the last part of the brain to be developed. So uh, an adolescent who's using substances and pushing those substances into a developing brain runs the risk of having some very serious consequences in terms of their ability to make good decisions and to weigh pros and cons before making a decision.
1: Right. Teenagers have enough trouble with that. They don't need to.
0: (laughs) They don't need to complicate it. That's right.
1: What are the warning signs that we can look for if we suspect substance abuse?
0: That's also a good question. What I recommend to parents is Pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. Um, Don't assume that any changes that you see are just a result of of normal development, of adolescent normal development. They may be, but don't just assume that. Pay close attention to any changes that you see in your child. For example, especially behavioral type of changes. you might for example have had a child who was earning very good grades and all of a sudden those grades start to decline and now they become poor Uh, you might have a child who was never getting into any trouble in school now all of a sudden starts getting into trouble at school You might have a child who was very open with their parents about who their friends were, so the parents knew who their friends were. Now becomes very secretive about those friends. You might have a child who used to enjoy playing sports, no longer wants to play sports. And you might have a child who took a lot of pride in their appearance and how they looked, now doesn't care very much about how they look, and they sort of let their appearance slide by the side. So those are all signs that parents need to be be aware of. And the more of these changes that you see as apparent, the more concerning they should be. And you want to at least check it out and see what's going on. All
2: right. Changes in behavior and appearance is the main thing.
0: Yes, exactly. Right. Yes.
2: So what should you do if you, if you suspect su- substance abuse?
0: Well, the first thing you should do is probably have a discussion with the child and see if they're open to talking about what's going on. Um, they may not be. They may shut you down. They may become resistant. They may become oppositional. But I think the first thing you do is try to have a conversation with your child about what's going on, the, the changes that you're seeing, and just you know make an observation that you've noticed these changes. Is there any anything going on? How would the child explain it? Try to have that discussion. It, it may or may not work work out. Um, but if you don't feel like you're getting anywhere, then I think the next step is to is to get an assessment done, uh, to get a comprehensive assessment. And by that, I mean, don't just focus on the alcohol or the drugs. That's an important assessment. But you also want to get some other assessments done as well so that you can get a complete picture of what's going on with your child.
2: Mm. Uh, you were talking a little bit ago about alcohol use, and you said that was still a big problem. Um, yeah. I've heard parents before say that they provide their teens alcohol at home so they can supervise, and they think that is a safer thing to do. What do the statistics say about that?
0: Well, what the research shows and what the studies have shown is that when you have alcohol at home with supervision, um, it's almost like a parental endorsement of, of alcohol use in the home that that is also associated with increased drinking among adolescents. And it also leads to heavier use and higher rates of problems as the child goes into adulthood. So the bottom line is um, it, it it results in a higher drinking rate, and it results in uh, a very high probability that there will be higher rates of use and more problems as the child moves into adulthood. So it is—it's it's not something that uh, um, that that parents should take lightly.
2: Right. Th- they assume they feel like the parent uh, is condoning it.
0: And it it, guess... it almost gives the impression to the child that it's okay that that right. there's no risk in, involved in it but 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 there is risk both as the as the child is an adolescent with the developing brain but it also um, may lead to further problems and higher rates of drinking down the road
2: right and if you and if you're having other friends over other uh, other of your kids
1: friends over you could get in big trouble too
0: <laughs> absolutely you sure could <laughs> yes you could
1: what are processing disorders, and what do they have to do
0: with substance abuse? Processing disorders are, are, are behavioral disorders. We have what we call chemical disorders. Those, that's the alcohol and the drugs, chemical disorders. And then we have process disorders, which are behavioral-type disorders. So what are some examples? One example would be um, uh, self-injury. It would be somebody who is self-injuring themselves. Another example would be someone who has an eating disorder. Um, I saw a lot of young teenage girls, mostly, who had eating disorders. I saw some who had self-injury disorders as well. Other examples would be gaming. I treated one young man who was a compulsive gamer. He would game all the time. It was affecting his schoolwork. It was affecting his relationships with his family. Um, I think what we're seeing more and more of now is cell phone use, where kids cannot sort of <laughs> be away from their cell phone. Um, actually, we've seen some evidence that that um, the brain responds to a text message in a way that it responds sometimes to alcohol and drugs it gives this rush of pleasure so these process addictions are behavioral type addictions and often they they accompany a um, a chemical addiction like alcohol and drugs for example i treated uh, um, young girls who were smoking marijuana but also had an eating disorder. Um, I treated another young girl who was smoking marijuana, but also had self-injury. So when you discover that your child has both a chemical addiction, alcohol or drugs, and a process addiction like self-injury or gaming or, or an eating disorder, you really have to diagnose and treat both of those disorders. You can't just treat the marijuana. You have to treat the marijuana and The self-injury or the eating disorder but the two can accompany each other do
2: they more often than not accompany each other
0: Uh, i would say i would say no Um, the majority of of teenagers that i treated were just using a substance they had a chemical addiction um and and the small minority of them had had a process addiction as well Um, it was mostly girls who had the self-injury in the eating disorder it did have some boys but it was mostly girls
2: Right. So you're saying, but a lot of times parents don't realize that they have that processing disorder also. So you need to make sure you look out for that.
0: that Yes, you do. And there's, there's some warning signs in my book about what parents should be looking for as symptoms, say to a child who might have an eating disorder or what they should look for as signs from a child who might be cutting themselves. Um, So parents need to be uh, aware of that because teenagers are very, very capable of flying under their parents' radar. They can keep the alcohol and the drug use very secret for a long time. They can also keep their eating disorders and self-injury under the radar for a long time. So parents end up being shocked when they find out what's really going on.
2: Is it because is it because they know what they're doing is wrong or... Is that why they try to hide
0: it? I think they try to hide it because, in many cases, they fear the consequences that might be associated with the use. Um, now, now many of these kids are using, say, marijuana or some other drug to medicate an underlying issue, um, so it's hard for them to to, to pull away from it. But um, when we asked when we asked teenagers, what is it that keeps you from talking to your parents about issues that you might have the number one response that we heard from them was a fear of being judged adolescents were afraid to talk to their parents about their problems because they were afraid their parents were going to judge them
2: Hmm. yeah i think you know i know for some people they might not have this but i think the important thing is when they're younger just make that relationship really strong and let them know that you're gonna love them no matter what they do.
0: <laughs> That's an excellent point because I've actually been asked the question, Well, I don't have a teenager yet. My you know, my child is preteen. What what can I do to sort of help them stay away from alcohol and drugs. And my response is pretty much what you just said. It's start to develop that, that communication, that, that trust, that relationship, and build on it uh, as time goes on. And, and I think one of the most important things that parents can do, that we all can do, not, not just parents, but everybody, uh, even, even adults, is, is, is learn some listening skills. You know, we're very good at listening to words. We're not so good at listening to the feelings behind the words. And it takes a lot of practice. It's not an easy skill to learn. But if you practice it enough, you can become very good at, at hearing your child's words, but more importantly, hearing the hearing the feelings behind those words. And when you can start to develop that sense of, I understand what you're saying, but I under- also understand what you're feeling, then you've developed that bond, that communication that might pay off down the road.
2: Right. Yeah, that's hard to do because we feel like we're in a hurry, and we we want to finish their sentences. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, we all get in a big hurry. We all, you know, we all want to just get to the point. Um, so that's why I say it does take it does take some practice. It doesn't come naturally. Um, we're not built, it, so to say, uh, so to speak, to to do that. But uh, but we can learn the skill and we can get better at it.
2: Right. That's good advice. Uh, What hope can you give to parents and friends who have a loved one struggling with substance abuse?
0: That recovery is possible, that um, our brains have a remarkable capacity to heal themselves. Um, So once a person stops using a substance or stops drinking alcohol, the brain has a remarkable capacity to heal itself. And if given time and you stop abusing a substance, the brain will start to repair itself and will start to recover.
2: That's good. That's good to know. Uh, Hope hope is the most... (laughs) Hope is so great when you're in a situation like that.
0: Hope is. Hope and encouragement is very important. And and that's one of the messages in my book is is that our brain does have a remarkable capacity to heal itself. Uh, It does take time and it does require abstinence. You have to stop assaulting the brain with what you've been assaulting it with, whether it's alcohol or drugs. And you have to be patient. In, in many times, uh, a, a teenager will require treatment. Uh, it might be uh, short-term treatment. It might be residential treatment. Uh, but, uh, but regardless of the kind of treatment that's needed, um, recovery and improvement is, is possible.
2: Is there anything else you want to add?
0: Um, no, I think we've covered uh, a lot of important uh, subjects. I would just add one other thing, and, and that's from the parent's perspective. Um, I've worked with a lot of parents, and after I have explained their child's substance use and the diagnosis and, 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 the, and the, the psychiatric diagnosis that often accom- accompanies it, um, parents are surprised to learn about the substance use. But I think what really scares them the most is not so much the uh, diagnosis on alcohol or drugs, it's the diagnosis on the psychiatric issue to learn that their child has, has severe depression or has severe anxiety or might have a developing personality disorder or an emerging schizophrenia disorder. And then I also noticed that a lot of parents beat themselves up you know, they will wonder, you know, how did I miss these signs? How did I not know what was going on? What did I do wrong? So I think it's important that any parent who is caught in this uh, type of intense emotion get support and help for themselves. And that's why I wrote the parent uh, workbook that goes along with the main book, was really to help parents who are struggling with these feelings and these emotions, because I think that we oftentimes put the energy in to try and rescue the child, which which needs to be done, but we often neglect the parent and 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 the struggles and the emotions and the feelings that the parents going through. They need help too.
1: Right. Yes, that's important. Yes, it is. Where can people find you? Like Facebook, Instagram.
0: Um, what I recommend is is people go to the uh, go to my books website. Um, On the website, you will find information about the book. You'll find information about the parent workbook. Uh, You can read endorsements and book reviews. You can read an excerpt of the book. Um, uh, So there's a lot of information on the website. And you can also order both the book and the workbook from Amazon through the website. And you can get to the website by going to www help the addicted child.com www.helptheaddictedchild.com
2: All right. Well, we want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. It was very informative.
0: Well, I appreciate your taking the time to meet with me and the work that you're doing. Hopefully those that, uh, those that hear this podcast will, will learn some things about it, and uh, hopefully we've helped a lot of people. But, but I thank you and your family for participating, and the questions uh, were excellent. I, I really appreciate it.
2: This has been a lot heavier topic than we normally cover, but this is an important issue that some teens and parents are facing.
0: It is. Uh, and it is a very serious, uh, a very serious issue. Um, and I think, um, I think that those who listen to the program, hopefully they will learn a few things. Hopefully they will order the book. And, and even if they have a child who's not using alcohol or drugs right now, keep the, keep the book on, on hand so that you have it as a reference. Uh, you may need it down the road or you, or you may uh, talk to a parent who is struggling with this and, and you might be able to help them.
2: Right. Check out his book. I encourage you to pick it up if you have a teen struggling with substance abuse or if you maybe suspect it. Uh, He's got a lot of info in there to help you work through that. This is not something you should try to face alone. Like he said, check into the resources he mentions and get help. Uh, This doesn't affect just your child. It affects your entire family. Uh, We also have our private parent Facebook community. We may not have all the answers, but we have a caring group of parents who all want our
1: kids to succeed, and you can find the group by searching for Raising Confident Teens Community. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time.